Coficon 2020 with My Child First. Our guest today is an engineer turned educationist, and she's the director of schools, Indian subcontinent for mangahigh.com, a platform for students to explore maths in a stress-free environment. And she's a fitness enthusiast, but the most interesting part is she's our storyteller today, and she's written a children's book named Ramya's Bat. It is my pleasure to welcome Ritika Subhash. Hi, Divya. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm so honored to be here tonight. Welcome. So um, before we start with anything, let's hear from Ramya's bat. Perfect. So here is Ramya. I would love to introduce all of you to Ramya and her wonderful little story tonight. Um, it's a short story. It will probably take me around five to six minutes to narrate it because I'm going to read out, um, read out aloud to you. Um, and I think uh, it's a good way to kickstart our conversation about the art and science of storytelling. Yeah. So, um, as you can see, that is Ramya. And do you notice something odd in her hand? Um, is that a cricket bat? So let's figure out what Ramya is up to. As you can see, I've dedicated this book to the women in blue. Um, I have a lot of pride in cricket as a game. Uh, my husband plays cricket and he's a huge enthusiast of game. Um, but I'm also very proud of our women playing cricket. So let's talk about this story. Ramya sees her classmates play a game of cricket. So that's Ramya right there for you, sitting next to lots of school bags, eating her leftover tiffin and watching her friends play cricket. Ali's bat hits the ball and Sam takes a wicket. Ramya cheers as Ram bowls and claps when Prem makes runs. Look at that, she even caught the ball. She really likes this game and wants to bat at once. So if you can see, she's running towards her friend enthusiastically, absolutely elated and wants to play and bat. But all the boys say, no, we only have one bat. Have we heard that before in the playground? That's the most common excuse many kids, especially boys, give. Why don't you bring your own when you may play with that? Ramya runs home to Pa and asks him to ask him to buy one. You can see Pa is busy reading Tagore, enjoying his kappa. But Pa says, no, Ramya, cricket is not all fun. So let's see what Pa has to say about cricket. It's not an easy sport, so leave it to the boys. Let's bring some other game. I'll bring out all your toys. Hmm, poor Ramya, all hunched up. Now look at that. Ramya is sitting with her building blocks, with her toys. She builds a block tower, then spots her plastic doll. You can see the doll. We are all very aware that this doll is in every household, huh? at least for girls. 
she swings it like a bat at the blocks and they fall look at that she took the doll um and I, if i could show you look at what's happened to the head of the doll it's gone flying away and she's hit the blocks as hard as she could now let's see what pa has to say now this will keep you busy i know that you like art pa gives her a paint box four brushes and says start again ramya looks a little disheartened doesn't she there's something else that she wants but she's getting everything but Ramya draws a small girl who slides to take a catch. Draws a cup next to her. Writes "Player of the Match." Look at her smile. She's smiling from ear to ear, and Pa is mighty confused. What should I do now? Now look at Pa. Pa gives her a racket. Try badminton today. She thanks Pa, picks it up, and runs outside to play. Now, what is this sweet little girl thinking? She has the racket in her hand, but why is she excited? She wanted something else, right? So let's see. Now she has taken her racket to the playground. She's standing in front of the wickets, and she is. What could she be asking the boys for? Her friends are at cricket. She shows them what she's got. the boys laugh but say fine we'll let you take a shot now they're snickering away right they're they're absolutely having a having a great time thinking what is ramya going to do with this racket but let's see ramya hits the ball hard she did it cheers the boys cheer the boys the ball soars out of sight crash oh no what's that noise or oh, what could that be this was a really really long shot mm 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 now that's something that we don't want to see in our colonies do we there is glass all around ramya feels scared and sad the ball broke sam's window ah oh. Pa will be hopping mad. Now what's going to happen? This is not something that Ramya was expecting. But Pa's words amaze her. Wow, child, you hit a six. You'll get your cricket bat. The window I will fix. Ramya has a new bat. Oh, finally, this little girl. without putting up a fight look at how she's got what she wanted she's happy as can be she joins the cricket team her proud pa claps with glee ramya bats really well her shots are hard to catch look at her go swish swash everyone cheers for her she's player of the match and that brings us to the end of this i think a very cute little story called ramya's bat thank you for that pratika so from engineering computer engineering to storytelling tell us a little about that 
Well, I would, I mean, not that I'm on uh, my child first, but I have to give the credit for this entirely to my son. And I'll tell you why. I think you must have heard this from many mums that after their delivery, they start exploring their creative side. And I don't know if something happens. I think it's the hormones. Um, but for me, it was a practical reason. Um, I was always a reader in my own childhood and I wanted to... Uh, my son to be to fall in love with stories too. Um, I had a stack of books next to my bed and uh, I used to read them out to him at bedtime. I think this was probably when he was about four, five, six months maybe. But I soon figured the impracticality of that suggestion that everyone gives that you should read a bedtime story is that when you have to read, you have to keep the lights on. Um, and when you do that, like my son was very excited to be in the story. And then, you know, that whole thing about putting him to sleep, somehow it didn't really work for me because we were both excited after the story and the lights were on. So then what I started doing is I started turning the lights off and I used to make up stories out of thin air, just anything. Um, and soon the stories started making sense. I mean, I started enjoying those stories. I started enjoying those characters. Um, I don't know why, but I started thinking of stories and writing stories in rhyme. I have no background in writing. I have no education in writing whatsoever. But I don't know where this thing about rhyming and you know, making a poetic story and making like it a, in a short. Uh, but an impactful story, it just started happening and it started rolling. So I think uh, this is my short journey from being an engineer to a storyteller, though I do believe that I am every a little part of everything. Um, I haven't left whatever I did. And I think all of that, looking back, were connecting the dots to bringing me here where I have this personality of having, you know, the left and right brains working together. Uh, sometimes one is more brightly lit than the other. But uh, yeah, that's it. So a lot of women actually resonate with that story, not just about finding their creative self, but finding a more whole, wholesome um, usage of their brain. They can do multitasking, they can think uh, rational and creative side by side, and also exploring new avenues. It's like reinventing yourself, not leaving anything behind, Yes, but uh, evolving and uh, seeing more layers of yourself. So I, I know that I grew up with a lot of stories. In the time that I was a child, there was no other entertainment. Books were one major entertainment. And I've enjoyed stories. And then as we were talking a few days ago, I started to think that all our stories, are all our epics are written as stories. Yeah. Whether it is the Greek mythology or the Indian or anywhere else in the world, there are the storytelling has been one of the key forms of learning. And now that you were saying that you started writing in rhyme, uh, even our stories are written in rhyme. Mm. So there must be something about the rhyming and the words and the coming together of both, which is very whole brain, I think. Uh, so tell us what what took then what happened after you started telling stories then uh did you kind of explore it further could you explore it a little bit more scientifically creativity was already there uh tell us a little bit about that yeah so when i i got really interested in this well art of storytelling is what i'll start with i got to the science of understanding how that works much later but from the art point of view um a friend of mine introduced me to Kathalia and to Geeta Ramanujam, who's the founder of Kathalia. 
um, and together both of us did a, a small certification course in, in storytelling and I think that really was the impetus for me to start you know writing in an in, in, in uninhibited way uh, I think before that I, I was always sort of questioning myself I was telling you about this imposter syndrome yesterday and I was always thinking like who am I to write right and what credentials do I have um, and you start getting into that loop of self-doubt which is so unnecessary I think for anything um, you don't really need a stamp on you to tell you that you can do this or you can do that. And I think that's the mindset that we have to come out of now. I mean, this Corona period and all that is happening to our education system, our school education and our higher education, it has just opened our eyes to this, that, you know, we have to keep our prejudices aside. We have to get, you know, we, we have to keep our thoughts of, you know, uh, associating prestige with only certain ways of learning and expand our thought process and accept so much more that is available out there. Otherwise, we'll be doing a great disservice to us and our children. So after that, I started, uh, you know, from an art point of view, I started taking some courses. There was a master class that I did of a lot, a lot of um, famous young adult uh, writers, um, you know, also goosebumps, lots of things that I started reading because I wanted to, it's not that I wanted to write everything. It's not that I wanted to write novels or whatever, but I just wanted to absorb so much information that's out there and learn from people who have done it. Um, I think that's how I started learning the art of it. And to be honest, there is really, I mean, everybody can define their own art, right? It's like a piece of art in terms of painting or a piece of music that you compose. Everybody's music is different. Everybody's art is different. The same way in storytelling, you can find your own niche. But unless you enjoy it, unless you are you know, feeling like a, a part of that story, like with Ramya, I became Ramya when I was writing Ramya. Like I thought, what are the things that I have faced in a playground, which were not really intentional? And it's not like our generation used to have it and now we don't think in terms of pink and blue it's still very subtly there even if we don't accept it or say this is there but the fact is we these conversations do happen even in households like you know ours or even i may say something um you know sometimes without giving it a thought but that's where you stop yourself and you say okay this is not what i stand for so all of that started happening. I started developing my own style of storytelling. I started storytelling classes, taking classes um, in my own vicinity close to my place and getting to understand how children absorb storytelling. This was my first experience of storytelling with a live audience, with children. I've done quite a lot of shows after that. I've done Bukaru Lit Fest. I've done Kukluku, lots of different opportunities to interact. But you know, when I did those small group interactions, I think that really opened my eyes as to, you know, what does it mean for a child to read a word and to find, um, you know, joy in getting lost um, in among the characters, the joy of really living vicariously, um, you know, and I could be sitting here, but I could be reading a story about a, a village in Japan and then I get transformed and I can smell those cherry trees. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything more beautiful than this. I remember in my childhood, there used to be a book called, um, so there was a series of NFL about the circus. Mm. 
And for a long time, I thought that that was the life to live. But they were wonderful books and I can still go back and read them because they bring back those memories. So this is the creative side. And then you said that there is a science that you've discovered. Tell us a little bit about that. Now, the science part of it is, again, I've, I've looked at a lot of research and there's a very interesting TED talk, which I want to mention here. It's by a person called David Phillips. Okay, it's called The Art and Science of Storytelling. I would urge everybody who's attending this particular chat to go ahead and listen to this TED talk. I found it life-changing to really understand the power of storytelling in our on our brains, on our neurons, on the way we link stories and they remain with us forever. And it's not an exaggeration, it really happens. What he says is that, of course, we know that there are lots of neurons, lots of chemical action happening in our brains. There are three neurotransmitters that he talks about. He talks about dopamine, he talks about oxytocin and he talks about uh, endorphins okay so all three of these um he calls them the angel cocktail okay so he essentially says that when you are telling a story or when a story is told well these three neurotransmitters get released in our brain so uh, dopamine helps us focus it helps in our motivation um it also is responsible for our memory Oxytocin helps in bonding and trust. So if I tell a story and usually when I start any presentation, even if it's a corporate presentation, even if I'm talking to, you know, my clients or, or anybody who I'm not even talking about storytelling, I would begin with a story and I would try to start have some um, personal connection in that story. Because if I can tell a personal story authentically, it helps me bond with the other person. It helps them to you know, have this release of endorphins and oxytocin where they trust me and they bond with me. And at least they will know that where I come from is a place that they can't, they, they can't doubt. And you have to remove that away, especially in this scenario where we are all so disconnected. We are all sitting in our homes and we are, we are functioning in a decentralized manner. How do you build trust? And I think storytelling has a huge, huge role to play in it. I was actually surprised that the national education policy NEP that just came out last month mentions storytelling as a very, very important tool for going forward, teaching our 21st century learners. And it was an eye opener for me. I was not expecting this to be part of the NEP, but uh, our good luck that our children are going to get exposed to that form of or that art as well. So I was talking about dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphins are the happy, relaxed hormone. They bring the blood pressure down. So you are in a state of mind to absorb what, I, what, you know, what is being said. So this is in terms of the chemicals or the feel-good factor, which makes us receptive to understanding what is happening. And that I got from David Phillips' talk. And I've read, I've read a lot of research papers, but I'm telling you the interesting bit, because if I tell you, go read that research paper, nobody's going to do that. If I tell you, watch that TED talk, many... You have to tell us a story about the research. You have to make uh, it into a story. Exactly. So now the story is that, Again, these people who are narrating their life's experience and they can actually blend it with the science. I think I personally would love to learn it from that perspective. So apart from this, when I was looking at dopamine specifically, I wanted to understand why. I mean, dopamine is quite a, I would say, a notorious. Uh, it's a, a revolving 
motivation hormone. It is a reward and motivation hormone, but a lot of people actually use dopamine's reference with, uh, you know, uh, drug abuse or you know, substance abuse and things like that because they want to get that high. You can also channelize it to do good or channel for you. To do good, yes. So dopamine got me a little interested, and when I started, uh, you know, reading about dopamine, I came across another neurotransmitter which is called glutamate. Okay, I hadn't really heard about it a lot or read about it a lot, but when I started um, noticing this whole relationship between dopamine and glutamate. what essentially happens is that glutamate is in, is is responsible for your long term potentiation which means long term memory building your neurons um, activity is determined by glutamate it basically gives energy to your neurons and we know there's a very famous saying the neurons that fire together they wire together right so we our ultimate aim if we want our children to learn anything or if we want to learn anything is to get our neurons working get them energetic which in chemical terms means glutamate has to be active and guess what the dopamine receptors actually activate the glutamate neurotransmitter so how now your reward and all of that is linked to your long term potentiation so if you are feeling happy if you are feeling energized if you are feeling low low in terms of stress if your oxytocin is high it is actually ultimately leading you to building your long term memory now this is where i completed the loop of the science of storytelling as to what really happens and why stories because of the chemicals that they release in our brains help us remember things for a long time i honestly i remember agatha christie stories from 25 years ago like i would remember who killed roger ackroyd i would know what happened i would know exactly what kind of poison was used and all of those memories are fresh in my brain because you know i i felt a certain way when i heard that story or when i heard my cousin narrate that story i had a i have a cousin who's beautiful storyteller she can read a novel and then she can and imagine an agatha christie novel which will have very technical details she can read it and then she can close it and narrate it from beginning to end to all of us other cousins and we used to sit spellbound i mean it was literally impossible to wait to you know hear the revealed name of the murderer and things like that so those memories are etched in my brain it they won't go away and now i think because i understand the the neuroscience of storytelling and learning and how it's linked it it makes sense that is the first part of the science of storytelling the other part which in i mean commonly we say that you know if you share language with your child if you talk to them or if you communicate often with them in a certain way it helps develop their language there again the science is that there are two small parts in our brains called broca's and wernicke's areas these are responsible for production and comprehension of language and research has proven that storytelling actually activates these two parts so your production as well as what you comprehend increases it doesn't mean that your child will you know become a reader tomorrow or they will uh, you know start uh, you know getting amazing marks or in writing or become creative writers it doesn't mean any of that it just means that you are building a pathway for them for lifelong learning that's it that's amazing i mean what else would you want what else would you want? who remembers what marks they got in class 7th unit test in geography nobody 
But if you can articulate well, if you're imaginative, if you can put expressions into words, and if you're a great conversationalist, well, then that's a skill worth learning. So it's interesting. Now, uh, you know, we all heard read a book to your baby when you sleep. Or, and, and in sometimes when I was a young mother, that was considered quality time. And it made no sense to me at all. Because like you, my children wouldn't sleep with the lights on and me telling a story. They would sleep better when I would just hold them and regulate myself and they would be off like that. And that took much lesser time. So what was that thing about reading a story? But I found that when they were awake, um, I would encourage them to look at the pictures and tell me a story. Yeah. And that was very interesting too. So if you could start the first line, they would build on it. And that was an interesting thing as well. But if, if we are to tell parents that read or tell stories to your children, what would your suggestions be? What kind of stories? Uh, or is it just a conversational story? You made them up. So I mean, tell us a little I bit about that. Ideally, what I really miss is that my grandparents are not around. Um, I would have really loved to hear or for my son to have heard their stories of what they had to tell, of the era that they lived in, of the simplicity that they experienced, uh, you know, their transition from nothing to television to internet. I think that would have been like a fantastic story. Um, so if there are if there are older people in the house, if they can authentically share their stories, I think um as a bonding exercise, as a trust building exercise, as an exercise where uh, a child feels part of a family and feels pride uh, of the heritage of the family, I think that would be ideal. Um, the same goes for parents, right? Parents can also authentically share, like I have many experiences and I, I do share them with him. Um, I share my experiences of my failures, of, of things that I didn't do well or I was afraid of. Um, I do share things that are happy things as well. So I think it has to be a mix of everything. Uh, in terms of reading books, um, I, uh, as a person, never liked any moral stories. Like whenever they, it said that there's a moral at the end of the story, uh, I never really liked it because I can't see myself narrating a moral. I can see myself narrating a story. If my child wants to pick out a moral out of that, well and good but when i say this is the model of the story it just takes the joy of storytelling from me away i'm not generalizing it uh, for some it may be good maybe that's how that's what they like it like uh, to do but that's my personal preference uh with my son we've read a lot of different kinds of authors we've uh, read you know uh, the tulika books we've read a lot of pratham books we've read a lot of uh, other authors, Dr. Seuss has become one of our favorites when I, I thought the gibberish was too much for me early on. But now I'm so uh, enthralled by his style of storytelling. Um, so that's something that we really love. Uh, some of our favorite books uh, from Dr. Seuss are The Lorax. I think that's a wonderfully told story. We want to tell children about environment, about how our actions today can impact environment long term, please get your children to read Lorax by Dr. Seuss, lovely book. Um, and that's that's the thing with Dr. Seuss, all of his books have morals, but they will not be direct, they will not preach. Uh, and they will talk to you about all of these things about, you know, comparing yourself with another, or the environment, or it will talk about, you know, prejudices, lots of different things. So uh, really, it's for you to choose, I think. Um, 
now like i was saying i was quite averse to certain kinds of books early on but as i was discussing with you devya i think over a period of time i have felt that you know i should not be dictating what my child wants to read and uh, i have opened up a little bit in terms of you know what he's reading because i think this is where his perspective taking and his thought process uh, and who he is as a person and what he aligns with in life will come to life um here i do recall this very famous uh, talk by chimamanda ngozi where she said there are a lot of perils of a one sided story and that's what i felt when i heard her i felt am i telling my child a one sided story it's my view and this is what i my value system tells me that i should transmit of course as parents we want to have a filter i would not give access to anything or everything or whatever rubbish but um just being a little more open minded and letting your child choose what morals they want to associate with it's a huge task but uh, that's the job of a parent it's never easy that's true also um somewhere i feel when you're reading a book versus when you're narrating a story there is a lot more human interaction um we heard you you had the book and the pictures were out there but we heard you add a few personal comments yeah and you know um bring it as if it's a conversation tell us the the whole aspect of bringing the storytelling where emotions not just reading and telling what is the difference how would you say the difference is that's the beautiful part about storytelling that you can without telling a child about you know this is being happy and this is being sad you can get them to experience that when they put themselves in the shoes of all the characters in the story in a in an in a well told story there will be some drama there will be somebody who's fixing that drama uh, you know there's going to be elements of humor there's going to be times when the character your main character protagonist is sad so they are going through these uh, you know waves of emotions and if you tell it well and if you don't preach you and your child will go through those emotions as well uh pictures have a lot to do with it i am a huge fan of picture books to be honest i don't think that even as an adult i'm averse to it i would love a picture book any day um you know if i were reading harry potter if it's illustrated harry potter i would prefer that uh so i mean it's really getting all your senses there right getting all of you involved and invested in the story i mean a story well told you never wanted to end in fact i feel disappointed sometimes when i close a book and maybe it takes me a couple of days to actually recover from the trauma of that book being over i'm telling you the way this i also feel that sometimes yeah. it was going so well and then it's it, that's it it's over it you know and how do i come out of that it takes time and that's the power of storytelling it can get you to feel those emotions it can build your emotional vocabulary it can make you comfortable with vulnerability with sharing your own emotions and that i think is going to be a very 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 important uh, you know piece of parenting um you know if i look at post covid times everything seems hunky dory right now our children are coping somehow right either television or media or something or homework something's keeping them busy my sense is things are not okay my sense is children are feeling a lot of emotions but they don't have the right vocabulary they don't know if it's the right time to share 
they would probably have you know burst out uh, you know at one time but not really know what's happening we want to raise emotionally strong children and that's going to be our success as parents i really feel every single one of us wants to raise emotionally strong parents we are seeing what is happening to successful people around us what is you know the way they crumble and the way the dominoes fall i think if we can really work towards building their emotional quotient um through storytelling so that they have something to fall back on we all need something to fall back on yeah a lot of people don't have words to express emotion especially when they feel judged and they feel that as adults or even as grown up children they have to use the right articulation but storytelling gives you that so they can tell you a story about who they are without really or uh, you know saying i'm in trouble they can tell you a whole story around it i think that's a great skill to have and to be honest i think my son uh, today he is a better um, he's better at verbalizing his emotions than i am i've heard him say this that you know i'm so overwhelmed right now i'm so tired you know i you know i, I feel really sad right now that he spoke to me in that tone like he's able to verbalize it and share with me and that makes me present to my own thoughts to my own behavior to my own limitations and i feel he's a better communicator today than i am i feel proud of that okay we have a question coming up and it says what kind of sensibilities need to be touched through the ages between 1 to 10 years i i think in terms of sensibilities we we are talking about a lot of things right we are talking about language development we are talking about just absorbing what's around you and typically they say that around age 7 is when a child start to, starts distinguishing himself or herself as an individual as an i so that ego starts developing and um uh, that understanding of aham uh, is a very interesting thing the aham takes akar and that becomes ahamkar or ego ahankar yeah so the aham that this is me and i am distinct from this wall i am distinct from this animal i am distinct from my friend that starts developing and then you know they are starting to protect their boundaries they're starting to um assert themselves in certain ways so sensibility wise i think this is a very very important time when we make them aware of you know uh, they are not living in isolation like everything that they do even the toothpaste that they use and the 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 tube that they would discard goes somewhere okay that awareness i think that 1 to 10 is that the perfect time to make them feel that whatever footprint they are leaving on this earth whether it's a digital footprint or a virtual or actual footprint is real and i think that's the kind of sensibility that i would really focus on um sometimes i do get go a little bit overboard because you know i think childhood is also a lot about fun it's not about getting the child to see oh this is the repercussion of what you will do today and this will happen fine we want to build that but we also want to build the element of fun of uh, spontaneity uh it's a very difficult balance the way i tell you it's a it's a very difficult thing to you know <laughs> tread that thin line but it's uh, also a moving line depending on the ba- on the child it's a moving line line it's yeah it goes parallel it goes perpendicular it will go tangential it will just keep moving but um yeah no no straight answer to that 
Okay. But it's still a critical time. And I think that uh, storytelling can be a great way of saying what you have to say without making it very uh, personal, distinct, or about them, or prodding that ego a little bit. I think that could be a very good means as well. We have another question that's coming up, and it says, how can we work among emotional intelligence or caution uh, more through storytelling? So just elaborate on that a little bit. When we talk about EQ, AI, and like you just mentioned a minute ago, Divya, that we, we don't have to make it personal. We don't have to, um, you know, chedo uh, that ego that, you know, that is there. And we have to respect it. What you could do with with developing EQ is have some open-ended conversations about the story. When you're talking about the story, can you talk about what the characters may have felt? You know, or can you talk about, so in fact, my first book, uh, Ramya's Bat is actually my second book. My first book was a book called Let's Talk About My Feelings. It had just 12 very short four-line stories, very short stories. And at, at the, after the story, there would be a question. So the reader has to, you know, talk about um, how would you do if you were that person? Or what would you do if your friend was going through this? So again, when you talk about this kind of perspective taking, you are taking this person, your child, outside of their physical, um, you know, their physical thought process or who they are, and then take the place of someone else and then try to problem solve. See, this is a whole cognitive activity. It's not like emotions are one category and then cognition is something else and mathematical skills are something else. It is all a huge mix. You know, you're developing one with the other. These are like cogs that are interconnected. With better vocabulary, there will be better cognition. There will be more critical thinking. The question and answer or the Socratic way of learning when you answer questions is critical thinking exercise, right? That's where you're building and you're shunning ideas and you're building a thought process. So um, that, I think the question, questioning is very important. And make sure as parents, don't try to correct the question, the answer. Like don't try to drive it to what you want it to be. Just absorb the answer and sit with it. And if you, if it's okay, just let it roll. So it might be the right answer. Might be the right answer. It will we may have a different perspective, but it still might be a right. There is nowhere in the world where it says one question has only one right answer. Yeah. That's our way of thinking because we studied like that. If you've got a word wrong, you lose marks. Yeah. But the same problem can have many different solutions. And you'll be surprised at what they may come. So what I'm hearing from you is that as they're developing their individual self, these stories and then this little inquiry, this invitation to inquiry is actually recognizing their individuality without challenging it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That is such a wonderful thing. Um, and definitely that. So they find the worth that you're interested in what I have to say, or I may have a perspective and I don't have to agree with your perspective. Yeah. So the ego can just take a little backseat for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen these, I've had some very difficult conversations with my son about around food as well. Now, there is a flip side to all of this questioning and, you know, inquiry. And my husband does get a little bit annoyed with this because he's like, you reason everything. You don't have to do that. Right? Because sure. it's a taxing exercise when you try to reason everything. And, you know, I made khichdi. It's so good. Why did you not like it? It's tasty. 
so now i've had my son come back and say that you know you may have liked it i don't like it like, yeah but that's true likes. and that again i mean it has it has definitely sunk in that you know this person is an individual and i cannot uh, force upon my taste buds or my preferences and lots of other things on them i mean that's what i'm constantly learning um i don't have all the answers but i think storytelling has at least brought to the fore the fact that you know you can find your own answers you can define your own personality around storytelling um you can find your own voice your own creativity uh we all have our own stories to tell we all have our own ways to tell it so why uh, you know waste a life by not telling so um there is an old art form in india called dastan goi dastan goi yeah and it tells uh, sometimes the stories are in farsi or urdu yeah. yeah i have seen so many of them of the language i have known nothing yeah but i have understood the story and enjoyed it in the storytelling in this usually about the jadugar and the ayyar mm. yeah those are the traditional dastan goi stories and i've enjoyed mm. them even though i understand nothing of farsi or urdu but i have actually paid a ticket to go and hear those stories because i have enjoyed them so much and i have understood the plot yeah. even if i didn't understand the language and that could be a very powerful communication as well the other thing as we were talking struck me and i'd like to have your point of view on that is that there are some very difficult concepts like uh, i've made good khichdi why you didn't like it i didn't like the taste what do where do we go from there so there is a conversation to be had about saying that even though you don't like the taste of it which is just the value of the taste it is still nutritious and today this is made so please eat it and i think that can also be woven in these are tough concepts yeah you know especially at a time where everybody is an individual and it's all about my choice what i want these are really important conversations because if everybody thinks about what they want there is no adjustment we are yeah. living very isolated life so can stories address these rough edges of conversations which uh, in some context if say no you have to eat it because it's the right thing to do might come up with a wall telling your experience stories what what stories would actually teach you is that you can win some battles you can't win all that is the that is a very i mean for most stories you will see if you pick up any story like even if you look at mahabharata as a epic there was no single character who won every single battle like there were so many challenges throughout you know you can see pandavas you can see even the from the kauravas perspective if you look at it from their perspective they also suffered some bit and then they caused suffering and from the pandavas similar to that so i think when you when you hear stories like that you understand that you can't win every battle you can win some and that will help you again understand so where does it end right for me i want my child to be an individual so i will i'm okay with if they're making choices in food i'm okay if they're making choices in what they wear sometimes it's very annoying uh, you know it is extremely annoying the kind of inappropriate kind of clothing they want to wear on occasions when you would really hope and pray that these little beings that you have given birth to would understand the value of wearing you know say a traditional dress on certain days and all of that i guess again it's an, as an individual as parenting there is no book to it right there is no set formula one one size fits all 
as long as you are comfortable in your relationship with the child it's it has to be just these two elements right don't think about what others will say what will happen who will judge me and all of that i don't know if storytelling has the answer to it but at least when you read about more things when you come out of your cocoon and when you come out of the little bubble that you live in and you look at stories from around the world and of suffering and of grief and of fun and of enjoyment all of that will help you you know will help you see the other person's side and see the many sides of things that they are there so in my opinion that's the beauty of storytelling that's where the juice of it is okay we have one more question here can you talk about storytelling on the internet where the kids watch versus one on one storytelling i was actually going to ask you that question as well so which is films are also telling stories but it's a one way uh, communication yeah and also now on the internet there are lots of apps and otherwise what do you say about that where where a visual even though there are expressions of different people and characters what's the big difference can you talk about that so if i understand the question correctly it says storytelling on internet which kids watch versus one on one so what's the difference between like an online storyteller who's online versus i mean yeah. by the nature of what's happening around us uh, all storytelling events have been cancelled indefinitely i know because i'm connected with a lot of my storytellers in delhi uh, are my friends are in the we are in the same circle so that is not happening and we don't know when it's going to uh, recover uh, so uh, online storytelling in the meantime happens to be you know the next best alternative um I still do feel that there is no replacement for the kind of stories being told by a parent or within a family. Um, that I think has a different feel to it. But as an enjoyment and from from the entertainment point of view, uh, if things are happening online, I would say go for it and see if you you know you find your kind of storyteller. Um, in terms of reading stories, Pratham has a very good platform called Story Weaver. um which has free books so children can go on story weaver and there are i don't know hundreds and thousands of books that are for free these are illustrated books non illustrated books or different things uh, so whatever is relevant to your child's age group you can go on story weaver and see that uh, you can follow a lot of storytellers on facebook um uh, and check with them i know there are lots of events happening there's an indo park storytelling um uh, event happening online um i think in the next few days or weeks so keep keep on top of those things so that you can hear those stories which you can't now on a one on one thing but when it when it all recovers like platforms like bookaroo bookaroo lit fest is a wonderful one to bring your children to and hear from storytellers from around the world um i've attended two editions of them myself and it's it's been exhilarating i presented on one super experience so i would really recommend all of those okay here's another question how much of behavioral patterns does a child absorb from a storytelling and recall when comes into putting into practice i wouldn't have any data to go by to answer the question but again the idea is how well the child has connected with that character if you are expecting the child to uh show a similar behavior uh, 
that a certain character showed in a story it may or it may not happen like that's what i'm saying don't go into storytelling with expectations i used to have parents come to my storytelling class and they used to say ke acha aapki char classes ke baad bachcha padhna shuru kar dega school mein wo show and tell hoga show and tell kar lega and my simple answer was that you know you you have to let the child be let them absorb like four classes the child is only absorbing who i am as an individual and how comfortable he he or she is with me so it it's a time consuming affair um so what they will absorb what they will recall what they will imbibe what they will display um i don't think anybody can say that I cannot say that as parents you can't say. But I can say this, that uh, when my children were younger in school, especially for teachers who made a connect with them, they would copy her. They would pick up her mannerisms. They would use her words. This is not an activity that you teach. This is an activity that they learn. It's something that comes organically because they value her. They, they have a connection with her. they look up to her there are so many different ways that they absorb and then reflect back because we learn a lot by observation so i think you're right i think the key is the connection the not the connection not the achievement of whatever whatever people are looking for there exactly i mean with teachers i think storytelling works that's why i mentioned that nep mentioning storytelling i think it was a game changer for me because with teaching there is a lot that you can leverage as a teacher when you incorporate storytelling in your narration in your in your lesson plan in the way you deliver your content that's i mean children look up to teachers i mean i think this is a well known thing right i mean even more than their parents they would say ma'am ne to aise bola so this has to be correct right because that thing in their mind is there that the teacher is supreme and i think that's a beautiful feeling that's a feeling that if it, it, it can be exaggerated through storytelling it can be leveraged through storytelling so that part i definitely agree with because you know we all remember teachers from our school time who were good storytellers who were nice to us who were engaging who were engaging who were fun who were fun um you know so all of that of course is is makes sense but i'm saying in terms of if you are looking at a child if you read them moral stories and they should display that moral I, that's how i understood that question that i don't think anybody can get we were, we had moral science all through school yes you went to a convent so <laughs> i went to a convent briefly and we had moral science all through it yeah. it was more of a chore and you knew you know what the sad part is it taught us what you have to say to get the get through that class yeah yeah so uh, i don't know about morals but it did teach me a little bit something about manipulation for <laughs> sure so you did get something out of it not a complete waste not at all yeah nothing is ever a complete waste to think yeah, for sure yeah um so uh let's see if we have any other questions coming in but i this is oh yeah we we've got that Uh, role of grandparents in storytelling well i want to tell you something very personal first majority of my mythology comes from stories from my grandparents because i lived with them i know a lot about my own family 
And I know about my husband's family because his grandmother stayed with me and told me stories when I was married. So I was listening to the stories of the family even after marriage. So um, I'm going to let that let you answer that question now. But I did wanted to add that that this grandparents were very significant storytellers in my life. I think I mean there is absolutely no doubt about it. If I recall my time with my grandmother, she used to tell me some stories over and over again, and I think that that is quite. Uh, relatable with grandparents that they may repeat their stories, um, you know, uh, for a lot of uh, reasons that in terms of they forgot or whatever. But children also ask for those stories, no? Yes, yes they do. That is why I'm saying that uh, that link of having, you know, grandparents talk to grandchildren, it's precious. Um, and that's what helps you build perspective growing up in Delhi you know, getting to know about all parts of the country where my, my grandmother traveled because of my grandfather's traveling job in the railways. Um, I mean, it was fascinating to me. I've always been based in one place. But to see that a lady who was not traditionally educated, but was able to, um, you know, uh, find her way through so many changes in her life, it was beautiful. And I can now at least, because I've heard those stories, I take a lot of strength from them. This is where I'm telling you that I had never thought that those casual conversations would help me 20 years down the line, uh, you know, to navigate my own life. Um, that's the hope that we can create with storytelling. And grandparents are a wonderful, wonderful um, bunch to tell stories. They are very animated. They have a common enemy, which is the parent. <laughs> so they can do a lot of, you know, all of those kinds of conversations. Um, you know, I, I, my son shares a, a lovely bond with his grandparents from both sides, from uh, my parents, my, my own parents and my husband's parents. And, uh, you know, I just wish and hope that they never stop telling him their own stories. Uh, they have such rich experiences from both sides, from my father's side, from again, my mother studying in, in a, uh, you know, uh, in a boarding school, we've none of us have gone to a boarding, neither me nor my husband nor any of the kids from our generation uh, or the next generation. So getting to hear, I was sharing with you those trunk and those stuck box stories. Um, those are beautiful experiences that my mom shares with my my son, um, my my mother-in-law. She has you know taught Sanskrit for 30, 40 years, and she has a huge repository of knowledge uh, in that. Um, area and I think uh, I would love for her to teach that language to my son. Uh, my father-in-law came from Pakistan, you know, so many years after partition. He came in the 70s, which is unusual. Most people came, you hear them coming around the same time when, you know, partition happened. But he actually lived in Pakistan for so many years. He held a Pakistan passport and he came to India after so many years. So he has beautiful stories to tell. I mean, this is culture, right? What else is culture? And I think something is lost when we don't share it in terms of our own personal stories. So stories don't have to be out of a book. They don't have to be out of, uh, you know, they don't have to be structured and engaging uh, uh, narration, which is authentic, yeah. is a great story. That's what I've learned. And yeah. that's what I'm going to take forward. Thank you so much for being. We are almost at the hour. It was such an engaging conversation. Uh, I, I value conversations about everything else. Therefore, we are having this conversation about conversations with stories. Thank you so much, Ritika, Thank for you. being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. 
And thank you, everybody listening now and in the future, CoffeeCon 2020 with My Child First. Thank you for joining us. And we are going to be back on, uh, not tomorrow, but the day after that, with uh, Sheikh Jinnia talking about uh, all about adoption. So we will see you. Thank you very, very much. Good night. Thank you.